Hello, everyone, and welcome to Consumer Watchdog's Rage for Justice Report, uh, where we get together each week to talk about the important issues of the day and the current topics that we are exposing, confronting, and changing. I'm your host, Carmen Balber, Executive Director of Consumer Watchdog. And last week on the podcast for World AIDS Day, uh, we were talking about a suit we brought on behalf of an HIV-positive patient, Justin Smith, who was illegally refused medical treatment on the basis of his HIV status. This week, uh, we want to talk about another area of HIV-AIDS discrimination law uh, that our legal team has really helped pioneer, um, and in which we had a big victory in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal this week. Um, we have as our guest one of Consumer Watchdog's lead attorneys in the case, our own Ben Powell. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thanks, Carmen. Happy to be here. Glad to have you. So um, let me just set the stage. Um, CVS Caremark um, is a prescription benefits manager. Everyone has heard of CVS. They're a big retail pharmacy. But CVS Caremark runs the prescription programs for many health insurers and employer-sponsored health plans. Um, and that means that they design the prescription drug benefit of the health insurance you get through your employer. Um, that gives them a lot of power over uh, when and how we get our prescriptions. And the suit we're here to talk about today, we brought on behalf of five HIV patients who CVS Caremark told they could no longer go to a pharmacy for their drugs, that they were required to get the life-saving medications that they take to manage uh, their HIV through the mail. Um, first, I guess, basic question, Ben, why is that a problem? Well, I mean, it's it's this basically just essentially doesn't work for people like our clients. You know, CVS had to um, decided to go with this sort of one size fits all mail order policy for everyone taking a certain type of drug. And it just doesn't work for people like our clients or HIV positive individuals. And these people need to be able to get their medications in person. You know, they've been working with their community pharmacies for years. They're able to talk with their expert pharmacists about their medical history, drug interactions, side effects things like that that are really critical for people living with a uh, chronic condition like HIV. Um, you know, it requires constant, diligent dedication to their to their treatment plan. And this mail program just doesn't cut it. Um, you know, these local community pharmacies will often have procedures in place that allow greater privacy when picking up your medication or having private consultations with your pharmacist that you've known for years. Or if you have, you know, if you have mail, uh, if you have boxes coming in the mail, you might risk that neighbors or coworkers might see a medication delivery, depending on where they have it delivered, and they might be able to figure out that someone is HIV positive, even if they those people didn't intend to share that information. And that's not even to mention the logistical issues that can plague this mail order program. You know, you have these medications that need to be refrigerated at very specific temperatures, so you can't just have these boxes of life-saving medications left in the elements. You know, they can be subject to travel delays. We've heard of instances of trucks getting stuck in the snow you know, things like that. And there's really nothing they can do about it. So basically this, this approach that, that CVS tried to do apparently to save costs is, is just not a one size fits all approach and it doesn't work for our, our clients with HIV. Well, and I think uh, at this exact moment in time, everyone can understand pretty well as we're talking about a coronavirus vaccine that has to be refrigerated at uh, well below freezing, that it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to force people who might not be able to be present when a delivery comes uh, to get their refrigerated med medications out on the sidewalk where they could go bad or, or uh, be subject to being stolen. So 
big privacy and um, health implications there. So what, tell us about the case, Ben, um, and this week's big victory at the, at the Ninth Circuit. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we brought this case in federal court um, a number of years ago now, um, and it's been kind of just working its way through the court. CVS at some point moved to have the lawsuit dismissed, saying that under the Affordable Care Act and its anti-discrimination provisions, we didn't have a legitimate case for discrimination. Um, they basically said that this is the type of thing that applies to everybody. It doesn't apply. It doesn't have a particular effect on your clients. So the court should throw the case out. And unfortunately, the trial court agreed and they dismissed the case. So what happened this week is that the Ninth Circuit, the Court of Appeal, reversed that decision, saying that under the Affordable Care Act, we had, in fact, pled a legitimate case for discrimination and that the lawsuit should be allowed to proceed. And, you know, this is kind of class action 101 for those folks who don't know it, is that um, if we win the case, it doesn't just apply to the five um, John Doe HIV positive patients that we brought it on behalf of, uh, but uh, to patients across the state, correct? Right. It's a, it's a huge class of people that would be benefited by this and, and in the future as well. So it's not just people who are included in the lawsuit. It's we're, acti- we're asking what's called injunctive relief. Um, for which will force CVS to stop doing this policy if we can get the outcome that we want. So they won't be able to do it now for anyone currently enrolled and also for people in the future. They will know that that will be considered discrimination under the Affordable Care Act and its protections. And um, did any of the did any of the um, John Doe patients who are named as John Doe's because, of course, part of the reason we brought this suit is they don't want their HIV status revealed publicly. Um, did any of them run into personal problems with um, with this mail order process in getting their medica- medications? Sure, absolutely. Um, we had lots of different things that for, for privacy concerns, we had um, eventually one of the CVS people that um, one of our clients talked to agreed to allow him to to drop shipment his medications to some random CVS pharmacy miles and miles away. And when he went to pick them up, the person at the pharmacy was calling out the names of medications so that everyone in the pharmacy could hear. So obviously that's not gonna work for our clients. And then logistically we have things like when once our client had argued back and forth for weeks with CVS about trying to get out of the program for the reasons that we've mentioned, he came home to find a 90-day shipment of his HIV medication baking in the 90-degree sun on his porch because they had delivered it at the wrong time. That's the kind of thing that would, can really cause a problem because then if a dosage is missed on one of these uh, medication uh, administrations, you could really have a problem. Um, and so that's just not going to work. And those types of problems plagued all of our clients as well as all of the class members that we talked to. So, yeah, I mean, this is kind of an example of, of the way they designed this program uh, for profit purposes, presumably, um, mm-hmm. has really prevented these uh, these patients and, and the many others like them from getting the health care that they've been paying for for all this time. Um, it makes me it, it brings up the broader implications uh, for for enforcement of the Affordable Care Act, because, you know, when uh, it used to be and we were involved in a lot of uh, uh, litigation on this issue, too, it used to be insurers would keep up their profits by just refusing to cover people who were sick. So they would exclude um, exclude you from coverage if you had a pre-existing condition. If you had a health problem, they wouldn't sell you serv- uh, insurance. And that was an easy way to, to keep their profits up. But the ACA got rid of that. The Affordable Care Act said you can't limit coverage uh, for people with pre-existing conditions. It mandated a lot of different uh, guaranteed benefits. Um, so companies have to get creative. 
Uh, and one way they've done it is by shifting a lot of uh, drug benefits over to mail order. Uh, and they've done it in a host of different areas as well. So I think that maybe, uh, maybe Ben, you could speak a little bit about, you know, the broader implications of this suit for um, uh, the ACA's um, discrimination provisions, uh, the prevention of discrimination on your medical condition. Sure, absolutely. You know, as you said, the insurance companies got really good at, at uh, discriminating against people with pre-existing conditions or just finding different ways to not pay for people's health care. Um, and so this is kind of the newest iteration of that, of these mail order programs that allow them to cut costs. Or, you know, you might even argue that by making these medications so expensive to get in the way that these patients need, they're trying to push them into a different plan. They don't want to pay for these people. So, so they put forth these discriminatory plan designs which kind of forced people into other more difficult decisions. And so this was a really big hurdle for us and for future plaintiffs, since you have the Ninth Circuit, you have a really important court essentially recognizing that this type of discrimination is legitimate under the Affordable Care Act. Um, Anti-discrimination provisions, you know, Section 1557 specifically, they've it's always been a part of the Affordable Care Act, but no one had really figured out yet how to use those protections in court. There have been a couple of, a handful of cases um, around the country that tried, but it's, it keeps getting dismissed as we saw happen here. Um, so this is the first step into to really kind of legitimize the idea that, that the anti-discrimination provisions in the Affordable Care Act are operative, they do have teeth, and these corporations are going to have to abide by the important protections um, you know, that are inside the Affordable Care Act and that people were promised would happen. And so if ultimately we're able to have a good outcome for our clients here, it will show these corporations that they can no longer do this. Well, and you can see that playing out in, in so many different kinds of illnesses, you know, designing the benefits. So cancer drugs are hard to get and mm -hmm. um, too expensive or um, the uh, uh, psychiatrist you need to see is impossible uh, to get a uh, to get a meeting with. The list goes on and on how you could imagine insurers could design their benefits so that you can't really get the care you were promised. So really important conversation, a really important suit. Thanks so much, Ben, for telling us about it. Sure. Thank you very much for having me. So uh, we'll bring everyone um, updates on the case uh, when they happen, let you know how this suit comes out. Thanks, Ben, again for being on. Um, and thanks, everyone, for listening and for subscribing to the podcast. Please remember to do it if you haven't at uh, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can learn more about the case at consumerwatchdog.org. I'm Carmen Balber, and this has been the Rage for Justice Report. <laughs>